Here with Simon Mantilla and a CrossFit competitor from Sweden and of course joined by Daniel Paulson also from Sweden. So again, at the second podcast now that I'm outnumbered two Swedes to one. So let's see where this goes. This is going to be a conversation, all things CrossFit and we're going to have, you know, tying and breathing and recovery and sleep. And I'm going to let, well, I'm not going to let Daniel, but Daniel is kicking off. So Daniel... Yeah. Well, welcome, Simon, first of all. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, try to be as specific as possible what you can do uh, before uh, a training workout or competition, during competition and after competition. And then also try to weave that into, your, I know you're in the middle of the CrossFit Open, which is a you know, multi-month uh, competition if you stay in it. So it's also mentally draining. But so it's both, both the fiscal aspects and the mental aspects. But um, I'm thinking before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, CrossFit and when that happened? Um, for sure. So I um, <clears throat> started CrossFit back in uh, 2012. Uh, I got uh, introduced to it by a couple of friends of mine uh, who worked out at the gym that I was tra- uh, working at. So I was actually a personal trainer and I was working as a sports performance coach for the city's basketball and hockey team. And it was doing the typical gym routine uh, mixed with some running, with some group fitness and a bunch of other recreational sports and whatnot, uh, but didn't really have a competitive outlet for all my physical activity, so to speak. Mm. Uh, So they said, here's the sport. It's basically you compete in pure physical performance in these different tests or workouts and it's really tough and you lift weights and you run so it'll be perfect for you uh so i tried it out and uh, a couple times and after a while i figured this is pretty fun so i signed up for a competition did pretty well and uh, then i figured well i could make something out of this if i just put everything into it and really dedicate my myself to it and uh, so did you start competition pretty early, like after a year or two, or was it later on when you realized you were pretty good? Uh, I was just like after a couple of months, I actually competed. <laughs> okay. so, and, uh, no I, need I ended to wait. Up, yeah, no need to wait. And I ended up winning my first competition. And that was like a smaller local one. So, uh, and I ended up placing fourth in like the national uh, competition that year. Um, so top five in Sweden at that time, or even right now is pretty tough because we uh, have a quite a competitive field of athletes. So that's when I figured I, I got some talent in this and I can pursue this. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how, by the way, how often do you, uh, do you train in a normal week? What's, what's a normal week for you? Um, <clears throat> normal week for me would be two sessions a day, five days a week. And then, once a week i have just only one session but it's more of a longer duration steady state aerobic piece just pure running biking or a mix of the two or multiple activities i prefer trail running just to get outside of the gym and just move my body through the terrain in different like angles and uphill downhill just to have a challenge so that's Mm -hmm. a typical training week for me so roughly 11 sessions 
that yeah, that is that is pretty tough. And you, you follow obviously then your own, your own program. Do you have a, a group of people that you train with, or are you by yourself? Uh, <clears throat> I usually train with my girlfriend. So, <laughs> and she's a competitor as well. So we are well both partners in life and partners in training partners. So, uh, and she's pushing me really hard. And <laughs> and uh, I also That's what have girlfriends a, usually do, Simon. <laughs> yeah. In, in all aspects of life <laughs> and uh but then I we have, that great... I have my wife sitting here beside me you know she's she's keeping calm anyway that's the main thing that's great uh other than that we have a great training group here so we have uh two other crossfit games athletes and then we have one master's athlete as well so she's competing in the 65 year old category and uh, she's <clears throat> currently ranked one of the top athletes in her age category so uh it's really great environment to train with so yeah so if we, if we if we talk a little bit about um what you can do before a, a workout because it's a little i guess it's a little bit different we can get into competition later on but uh what do you do when you warm up for example uh do have you ever used any breathing techniques or are you just kind of go in and lift, uh, you know, or use rubber bands or what exactly do you do before a, a normal training? Um, on a normal training day, um, I typically do the, the conditioning or aerobic stuff in the morning or in the, okay. you know, before lunch. And uh, <clears throat> that usually incorporates like a pretty long buildup of aerobic work. So 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, gradually building intensity until your well your system is ready to go basically yep. and then there might be uh, pure interval style training like your typical uh, four minutes on two minutes off or 30 seconds off 30 seconds off you know pure aerobic uh, high intensity work <clears throat> or there might be a crossfit workout but the preparation is uh, typically the same so it's uh a general warm-up just to get the system going and then you start to add in more specific uh, movements and uh, weights or whatever the workout requires you add in more specific uh, specific uh, preparation and then you build intensity so you're almost at that intensity that you're gonna train or compete at uh, mm. before you go and of course like um, finding the correct breathing patterns it's a part of that. So you don't want to be hyperventilating or, you know, uh, you want to have your system prepared for what's to come. Yep. And uh, so, yeah. Do you, do you do the same type of once the competition? Because I know, I guess CrossFit is no different than out of sport where you become a little bit anxious before competition. It's, it's also the ritual of just warming up. Uh, do you do this, uh, try to keep, do you have the same routine for competition? Uh, every time or do you kind of mix it up or anything specific there? Um, it pretty much depends on what the, the workout or the event is going to be on the competition day. So mm -hmm. of course, CrossFit is, it incorporates everything. So there's little necessity to do a really long aerobic workout, uh, warm up for a max lift. Yep. Whereas if we're going to do something really high intensity in the, in a time domain of five to 15 minutes, it's super important. Yep. Um, otherwise you'll just red line, hit a wall and you're, you'll crash and burn basically. Yeah. So, so it all, always depends on the test, 
but I know uh, how to prepare for it because I, like you said, I do the same routine in training as when I compete. Yeah. So I know how my, what my body works with and what doesn't work. Um, so I can recognize the feeling. And also if I'm more anxious or nervous, I can take that into account when something feels off or it feels strange or my heart rate is higher than usual because of the stress. Um, then I know that so I can find some sense in all of it. Yeah, because very interesting you said that because you want to have some sort of stress but you don't want to overdo it so you become nervous and too anxious because that, then it's a problem. But the difference between CrossFit and most sports is that you go into a competition, it might be deadlift and rope climbing. And the next competition, like an hour later, might be uh, power cleans and running. So your body will respond in different ways. So maybe that adds to the anxiousness and nervousness because you never really know how your body will react exactly because you don't go in and do the exact same uh, workout every time. Then you know kind of after two minutes I will respond like this. How, how, do you, how do you respond? I mean, how do you deal with that uncertainty, especially in competition? Do you just try to um, focus on, on those specific uh, exercises before and then try to just uh, go into it? Or do you have anything specific there? Um. It also depends on if we know the events or the movements beforehand or if yep. we get to know them at the competition day. So yep. let's build a scenario that we just get to know them <laughs> right beforehand because yep. it's way trickier. Yep. Uh, so then you kind of have, you, you've done it for long enough, so I kind of have an idea what will be the limiting factor of the event. Yep. It might be the barbell movement or the running or you know, what pace should I hold? Uh, what's my maximum or minimum pace? Um, to, to stay with the field and of course it's uh, it's a race so you look at your competitors and you look within yourself and you kind of uh, play off uh, what's going on in the in the game so to speak uh, but in the open it's different because then it's just you so you can just uh, go by your own feeling um, so you kind of recognize those uh, signals when you know you're working too hard for too long kind of your your breathing gets out of control uh, it goes from being uh, down in your stomach to really up, in, up yeah. into your chest. Uh, you stop using your nose. You're just breathing through your mouth. And you get that like stress reaction, the typical flight uh, yeah. instead of uh, fight reaction, so to speak. Um, so then, then, you know, after a while, you get experienced enough to, to know when to dial back, when to push, sort of. So in the beginning, uh, as a beginner, you don't really know. So I, I think it's important to have both uh, aspects of that in your training. But sometimes you go, within, go into the event without a plan just to learn. Um, and then sometimes go in with a plan that might be a little bit conservative. And then you, you can gain experience from both of those strategies and find the perfect uh, strategy for you. Okay. Daniel, I'd like to step in. This is, I think this is fascinating because I'm not familiar with CrossFit, so I'm just listening away to you, Simon. Many different power systems involved. And I'm just thinking about ways that you could really, not, not you could really, but somebody who's in CrossFit could apply different techniques. Um, so, for example, in terms of improving the biomechanics of breathing for weightlifting, 
You also spoke about when somebody gets gassed out, that their breathing goes from the diaphragm up to the chest and they start mouth breathing. And tools then that one could bring into everyday life, including measuring breath hold time during rest in their everyday. And that will give some feedback of their functional breathing during rest, which determines their breathing during physical exercise. And another thing that just came into mind was, say, for example, you do a high intensity a high intensity exercise, which is about 30 seconds or one minute, and then you've got to rest for 30 seconds before you do something else. That we would do, say, I'll give you an example of one study that was in rugby union players in Australia. They had 21 individuals, divided them into two groups, and over four weeks, both groups did 40 meter sprints, but one group did the 40 meter sprint on a breath hold, holding their breath, with a departure every 30 seconds. And the other group did a 40 meter sprint with normal breathing with a departure every 30 seconds. And at the end of four weeks, the repeated sprintability in the breath hold group increased from nine reps to 14.8 before exhaustion. And the normal breathing group didn't. So little tools and little tricks. And also you were saying about your heart rate because one can purposely slow down breathing to stimulate the vagus nerve to secrete the neurotransmitter acetylcholine. And this will cause a slowing of the heart rate. And this is known since 1921. So it's all, it's fascinating stuff, um, both Simon and Daniel, in terms of breaking it down and asking where could techniques be added here to get those gains. And bearing in mind, that study I spoke about, they were highly trained professional rugby union players. And even to get, to get a gain of, you know, from nine reps to 14.8 before exhaustion, there's something in it. Yeah. So, yeah. Can I just ask, when you're doing your training, say, to prepare for the high intensity, um, do you do it with your, note, with your mouth closed? Um, not purposely, mm. but I, I, don't, uh, I don't bring in more air than necessary. And I've actually played around um, a few years ago. I actually did some of my steady state work where I purposely had to uh, breathe through my nose uh, through parts of the run, let's say the run, mm. uh, just to be able to know that I control the intensity so I'm not going too fast in a low-intensity training session. So that, that would be a, a easy, simple uh, way to, to know that you're keeping the correct intensity just like the, the cue that you should be able to hold a conversation without being interrupted or yes. having to interrupt yourself. Yeah. Uh, so that together with, you know, looking at that, I'm in the correct, correct zone uh, on my um, heart rate monitor are, is definitely useful tools that I've used through mm. my career. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. in CrossFit is, is the fact that it's fairly easy to do on a rolling machine or a bike. But once you start doing the barbells or climbing ropes or a, a D-ball or whatever, it's, it's, uh, it's very tricky to know the exact speed. But when you have the RPMs or the calories, you can follow it and you can have the same exactly up to that uh, level where you know you start mouth breathing but, and you can dial it up and down. Uh, do, you, do you use that a little bit on, on the rowing machine or the assault bike? So you know kind of, okay, if I go over a certain amount of calories per minute, I'm going to start mouth breathing. Um, yeah, it's also, uh, with the rower or any, uh, any erg, you, you kind of have the, uh, certain frequency that you work at, let's say 22 strokes per minute. 
So you want to time that with your breathing because part of the, let's say the row, you want to hold your breath to, to make sure you get a good power transfer through the legs into the, you know, into the hips, into the handle when you finish the pull and then you let go and you breathe again. So in those movements, it comes kind of natural and you know, after a while, once you go too fast, that's when your breathing uh, is mistiming your frequency uh, or your RPMs on the, on the erg. So, so that's for a beginner, it doesn't really make sense. But for me, that could be a really big difference in how much uh, wattage I can produce or how much speed uh, I can hold uh, to be able to get the maximum, you know, out of my body. Can I ask Simon? Yeah. So when you're breathing, when the respiratory rate is increasing much quicker than the reps that you're doing during the exercise, then you know that there's an issue. Yeah, exactly. On a, on a erg or on a stationary rower or a, a ski erg or an assault bike, uh, even for running, you know, if you, if you run and you're not timing, you know, kind of your in, inhalation and exhalation with the a number of steps that you're taking, it's kind of like your chest is kind of uh, collapsing, you're losing posture and then uh, you're losing efficiency in your run. So it's sort of the same for, for uh, all the conditioning machines, so to speak. So you want to yeah. have a correct breathing pattern to get the most out of the, uh, of the movement. And the yeah. same goes for the, the lifting movements because let's say I'm going to do a set of 15 with 140 kilos uh, within a workout. I need to have uh, a certain time where I hold my breath in order to create stability for my spine and my core. Uh, so that's also something that's really important to practice in training to know what my breathing pattern is, because if I exhale in the wrong uh, part of the movement, I'll jeopardize my technique and there goes my efficiency and also the safety of the lift itself, because the, the weight will, you know, uh, be put on your spine instead of your like posterior chain. So super important. Yeah. Do you ever let your breathing lead the way? So in a, in a especially in competition when early on, maybe you're not that tired. So if between exercise, maybe you, you breathe once or twice, but as you get more and more in deeper in, the, in, in that workout, you may need four to five breaths in, in between exercises versus looking at the clock and knowing that you have to, you know, beat a certain time. Uh, talking about you know how important how, how important form is do you ever kind of let breathing dictate when you're ready for a lift uh, versus the, the clock um it all depends on how much time i have yeah. <laughs> so so if it's uh, in training i wouldn't let the, the clock dictate anything really uh, yeah. because then you know how you execute a practice perfect practice is more important than just getting a certain score in training uh, when it comes to competition, uh, hopefully you have the correct strategy so you get the most out of your, uh, your body, so you get the best performance possible. If you misstep, of course, there's room for error because it's competition. But like at the CrossFit Games, you have multiple events, like 15 events in the range of like three to four days. Mm. So you only have a limited amount of those, uh, you know, lifelines so to speak yeah. uh, otherwise you'll come to the final day of competition and you'd be smashed you'd be drained so you, you gotta stay below that red line as for as much time as possible you can't you know 
fire on all sin- cylinders and just gamble all the time. You've got to stay within control. So Now you're at very high level, so you kind of know where that red line is. But I still say that a CrossFit is much more difficult than most sports because sometimes you do different exercises with, with various times or intensity. So you may hit the wall much easier than if you're just a runner because then you know your pace should be a specific, you know, time per kilometer or whatever. But here you may do a unique set of rope climbs and deadlifts and handstand push-ups, and you may hit the wall. Just go, and if you hit the wall in, in CrossFit, it's, it's extremely difficult to come back down. Does that ever happen to you when you in in work? I mean, in training, but more so in competition. And how do you handle it? Uh, I mean, there's a time and place for everything. So sometimes I believe you have to, you know, get hit to know how it feels to get, get punched in the face, uh, mm. to know how to handle it. Uh, if you're always playing it on the safe side, uh, you're not exploring new ground or you're not gaining more experience. You just know what you know, basically. Um, so there's definitely a time and place for it in training where we purposely create uh, workouts or scenarios where you are getting tested or you are getting pushed over the line. And then we can see how long does it take for me to come back down? Uh, what strategies do I apply? How is my thought process and mindset? Uh, how am I handling the stress of, you know, I basically failed now. Uh, when am I ready to, to get back and attack again? So to speak. Mm. Yeah. I wonder what's, what's playing a role in hitting the wall. Is part of it due to an accumulation of hydrogen ions? Yeah, probably, Is... yeah. And also, like, uh, local f- muscular like fatigue, like mm. contractibility, like your grip. Mm. Uh, let's say you're climbing a rope and you're, you're uh, getting fatigue in your hands, but you might feel fine, like, uh, if you look at the big picture. Which... Which in turn is going to be influenced by blood flow and oxygen delivery, muscle fatigue. So this is, you know, in terms of doing breath holds and more often than not, they are not used, but the last 10 years, there's a little bit more coming out about it. So I'll give you one example, Simon, and this would be an interesting one for you just to try, try out and see. You take a normal breath in and out through your nose, pinch your nose and hold, start walking, go into a jog, fast jog, into a sprint. Keep pushing until you feel a fairly strong air hunger and then let go with minimal breathing for six breaths. Wait 40 second, 45 seconds and do it again and do about five reps. And that will push your body into an anaerobic state that is much stronger than any sprint. So normally, for example, if you were doing a sprint with either mouth closed or mouth open, your blood oxygen saturation will drop down, down into the low 90s, mild hypoxia. But if you do it with a breath hold, especially after an exhalation, you'll drop it into the mid 80s. And this will force then the buffering capacity inside the muscle compartment to increase, to improve, which will delay lactic acid and fatigue. So I think you could delay hitting the wall by imposing breath holds in training. And also there is a psychological thing because that intense feeling of breathlessness, it's not a nice feeling. But when you do a, a breath hold during a sprint, you're deliberately generating a very strong feeling of breathlessness. And you may be training the brain that the body can push it harder and faster without overdoing it. Because if, for example, there's a few things going on. Diaphragm fatigue is common with 50% of athletes. 
And if they die from breathing muscle fatigues, blood is stolen from the legs. So the legs will give out, they go jelly. Nose breathing and breath holding will add an extra load onto the diaphragm. But then functional breathing during every day, which can be measured by breath hold time, will also help to assess or to give you an indicator of functional breathing in terms of the biomechanics. So there's, it would be, or Daniel, it's a very interesting one to look at a CrossFit yeah. routine and just to superimpose different things. And, um, you, and you, as, can do, you get this uh, spleen contraction, mm. which releases blood cells. You get a like two-way two effect first. You get the 10-minute effect short term, which is mm. good for workouts. And you can look at it via this pulse oximeter. I don't know if you use that ever, Simon, but then you can see your your blood oxygen level uh, go down and so you can control it. And it's basically, I guess, if you drop it down to 85, 80 or 85 is like, what, five or 6,000 meters. So it's simulated it's high severe altitude. hypoxia. Yeah. 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 And a lot and of this information people. we have is coming from Sweden. <laughs> from, it's research that has come out from Sweden in the last 10, 15 years. Um, one researcher is prolific. Her name is Erika Shagate, but there's also another guy, Matt Richardson. And they've produced great, great stuff. And I suppose the background was that they were, they were intrigued with our ancient tribes, or not ancient tribes, but tribes that would be, for example, in the Amazon doing long breath holds. And they were able to hold their breath for longer than the physiological medical norms. And she was intrigued, how could these people do it? How can the AMA divers hold their breath for so long? And she started looking at and as Daniel explained, we have a spleen underneath the diaphragm and it's our blood bank and it contains 8% of red blood cells and 80% is hematocrit, which carries oxygen. So oxygen carrying red blood cells. And when you do five strong breath holds, the spleen releases red blood cells into circulation. So coming back to muscle fatigue, if you had, if one, if an athlete had greater oxygen carrying capacity, so there's greater oxygen delivery to the muscles. They're staying aerobically for longer, which nasal breathing is doing, but also CO2 tolerance is doing. Yeah, it's just as fascinating to Simon. It really is. But Simon, what do you do then for recovery? Like uh, once you've done like the, the workouts, what, what's your main focus after yeah, training specifically, but also competition? Um, again, it depends on the event, but typically it's uh, some sort of cool down routine where i try to uh flush the system of uh, waste products basically so it's like an easy um aerobic work on a bike typically or an easy jog and uh, i might even incorporate some sled pushes or sled drags in order to activate my type 2 fibers just to you know cover the whole spectrum depending on how heavy the loading was and stuff and I really feel that like getting a, a little bit of a muscle burn, not, not like a lactic feeling where you uh, kind of affect your aerobic system, but more of a sort of isometric feel, you know, like a, a kind of also helps getting blood flow to the muscles and uh, yeah, in, enhances recovery. So definitely like straight after just getting movement or keeping the movement going, but at a much lower intensity uh, helps a lot. And then, post-workout nutrition, you know, getting your carbohydrates and your, your proteins in pretty quickly, especially if you plan on doing a, a, another training session within a couple of hours. Uh, or if you're in a competition, even more important, you have an event within maybe one or two hours. Uh, there's not that much 
time to eat so you kind of have to eat when you're when you can so that's basically the routine and then might be do some uh like uh stretching or whatnot maybe some foam rolling or if you have a physical therapist there to take care of if you have something nagging and in training i also implement uh, saunas and uh, like uh, hot cold a little bit uh, the contrast I, yep. I find that beneficial and i know there's a lot of studies like saying that it's good for you or bad for you yeah i just uh, the, the sense of recovery uh plays a big part for me so i usually use that before a rest day so let's say i it's my last session on a saturday then i'll, I'll have a longer sauna session with contrast showers or ice baths in between because i just feel more rejuvenated afterwards yeah, uh, but it's, leaving it's the training week yeah it's tricky i know that doing saunas there's some research saying that if you do it in conjunction with training actually builds your muscle because the net protein effect you get from it versus yeah. cold if you're if you're a power lifter they say it's bad for you versus if you're a runner if you do it right afterwards within the next two hours is good so it's kind of conflicting messages but i think your mental aspect it's great it feels great so if it feels great there is at least something that is good for you i think regardless of the physical aspects yeah and i also think like the argument that uh, the cold inhibits hypertrophy. I'm not super interested in hypertrophy. I just, mm. I'd rather stay lighter and be just as strong or perform just as well. Because uh, yeah. I don't need more weight to carry. <laughs> That's yeah, just, yeah. Uh, uh, just another, you know, it doesn't benefit me at all. So, but, And then between training, like breathing is very related to sleep and what you do during the day. I mean, if you train as much as you do with that intensity, uh, how important is sleep and do you have anything like anything specific about sleep you have to get a certain amount of hours or you go to a certain time or uh, anything uh, or you focus on sleep a lot or how does that work for you uh, yeah that's like the cornerstone for recovery along with nutrition so uh, my, my goal is to sleep roughly nine hours every night uh, so I typically go to bed at like 10 p.m and I just wake up naturally by myself uh, yeah. around usually 6 a.m. But then I force myself sort of to stay in bed for a, another hour or so. Yeah. Uh, but I'm still, you know, relaxed. Uh, and then between training sessions, not every day, but maybe five days a week, I take a short nap of like 30, uh, 20 to 40 minutes, depending on how uh, tired I am. And, uh, well, just, I, I shut the blinds and I put some, uh, like white noise on, uh, sort of like, a, I don't know, birds or, uh, rain or whatever, just the sound to occupy my mind. So I don't think about things. Yep. And then, um, I actually lie on my back and I have my hands on my stomach. So I try to expand them like breathing really low. Uh, so I lift my sort of lift my hands, uh, yep. with my breathing. And if I fall asleep, that's fine. But at least if I don't, I don't mind. Mm. Uh, and I also have this weighted blanket. So it's kind of it's heavy on me. So I kind of have to lift it every time I breathe mm. uh, and stuff it's like good, that. It's good, by the way. Yeah. Because it's, it's slowing down your breathing, which is calming. And also, 
it's it's kind of amazing during sleep um if one has a fast respiratory rate during sleep the brain thinks that the body is under threat and the brain will wake up so if somebody say for example was in too warm a bed and the additional heat that the respiratory rate was speeding up that person is likely to wake up so they could wake up at two o'clock three o'clock four o'clock and then they have sleep disruptions and they wake up feeling tired but mouth breathing does it also so the weighted blanket is actually a good idea we use something similar using a belt just to slow down breathing and i'm just thinking that crossfit guys pretty strong they're going to be bigger guys and likely to have an extra conference greater than 16 inches so there could be a risk of sleep disorder breathing there which would in turn affect performance it will be very interesting to see how many of them are breathing through their mouth during sleep because one should never wake up with a dry mouth in the morning and especially when we have a larger neck circumference we're more prone to stopping of the breath or snoring and that's where breathing can come in as well because if one is snoring or stopping breathing and that is absolutely going to affect performance because it's taking one out of deep sleep and for deep sleep nose breathing the slow breathing that you talked about using the, the blanket and even abdominal breathing because when you breathe using the diaphragm it increases lung volume and the throat is stiffer and less likely to collapse so for down regulation we we do a scenario um, that's 15 minutes of breathing light and really slow breathing before sleep to make people feel groggy and they've increased watery saliva in the mouth so that they know it's stimulating the vagus nerve because i think simon human nature is if there was a competition the following day it's going to be running through the mind and if the mind is overly anxious during sleep well we're not going to sleep and as a result then it's going to in, incur poorer quality sleep and less ability to focus and concentrate the following morning there's a lot of things going on it's not just physical exercise and training but sleep is a big part of it i would agree i think it's huge yeah yeah for sure how, how much simon how how you seem to uh, take uh, extremely good care of yourself with with everything but so we've mostly been talking about the physical aspects how much is this is like this these daily rituals are important to for your mind to be mentally prepared for every day be mentally prepared for competition to to do all these things that like how much how much is it like are the mental aspects of doing all this to make sure you're in like in ready for a competition ready for workouts day by day um i i think it's uh important if you uh, if you feel that it's important that like if you feel that it's giving you benefits mm. and i for sure feel that i if i disrupt my my daily schedule or my routine i can feel my performance decline the next day so therefore it gives me a mental boost when i know that i've done everything uh that i can to prepare uh, because i know i couldn't do more so i can find i can find a sense of peace in that you know like i i've had proper nutrition i have proper sleep i did a good warm-up i did everything i could so now it's just up to going in and execute it's no more that i could have done Mm. to be as as good as i can be so to speak yeah so, so it definitely it, has something to do with your mental attitude if you know in the back of your mind that you have been slacking off a little bit here you maybe stayed up a few extra nights or whatever 
that is something that's going to come haunt you if you make a mistake. Uh, it's easy to blame that to, to the mistake. Whereas if you've done everything perfectly, well, then it's just a mistake. And then it's something that you have con- maybe not have control over. You know, it might have been uh, something that broke or whatever. But if you, mm-hmm. if you do everything that you have control over, it doesn't really matter what your comp- uh, competitors are doing or what happens in the play of field. That's just the nature of sport, so to speak. I think that is important because a lot of people can be anxious, not over the things that they have control over, but the things that they have no control over. Yeah. And that can affect performance. Do you bring your attention into your body when you're doing physical exercise? Like you, you, you've mentioned a few times, Simon, that you, you, you listen to your body or it's often, it's, it's that you bring your attention into the body and your body is telling you if a particular routine has been helpful or not. Do you have a habit of, if you were lifting weights that you're lifting with every cell of your body, if you're doing your exercise, you're running with every cell of your body. Do you do anything or is that just something that is, is second nature to you? Did you train to do that or do you do it? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, now it's kind of second nature to me because I've done it for so long. So it kinda, it's imprinted in my, in my nervous system, so to speak. So when mm-hmm. I'm supposed to do a really heavy weight, uh, I don't really have to uh, think about uh, using all every ounce of uh, energy that I have. It's just automatic. Whereas as a beginner, you have to kind of teach yourself that. You know, uh, the first time you're lifting a weight, uh, first of all, you don't have to. Do, you don't know how to do it properly, but you also don't know how to really exert yourself before you've done it, and you push the boundary of exertion, and then you can. You know, you, you discover more and more what you're cap- capable of. So you kind of find that threshold of what true hard work really is. It takes a few years to get there. So the first time you think you're working hard, uh, it's actually not that hard at all once you've climbed the ladder for a few years, so to speak. So, so it's basically an adaptation. It's, it takes... Yeah, it's adaptation, but it's also, mm-hmm. a, yeah. it's also a, a, an adaptation of, like, attitude. So... Yeah. Your mind actually have to adapt to the training loads as well. It's not just physical. You have to get used to training twice a day. It's it's a it's you know you have to get used to it. It may take a few years, so it's it's uh, it's tough. How much of do you think in, in CrossFit is in the top guys is the mental aspect versus the physical? Does mental does that play any role at all? Like in competition, looking at the other person and getting a little bit you know anxious that you're not going to beat that guy or is it just physical um it's a lot of physical i think uh, early in the early stages of the competition and the further you get into a weekend the more and more uh, the mental aspect uh, plays a big part of it so uh, for example you mentioned the crossfit open in the beginning uh, that can be stressful in a way because it's a long time and you're you can't really see your competitors and you're doing one workout every week which is an all-out effort. Uh, so you might be a little bit anxious of the uh, pain that you're going to implement on yourself, so to speak. Mm. Whereas if it's a, a competition weekend, which we just went through, like the quarterfinals, where you have, uh, which is the next stage of the competitive season, where you have multiple events over three days, 
the first day you might feel fine, but the second day you all, you, all of a sudden you have all this fatigue and you have soreness and you also have the leaderboard. You might not be in a qualifying spot. So you have the stress of, okay, I really have to perform, but my body's not feeling ready to perform, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I think that's a, a, when your body is not what it's used to be uh, and you're not used to it, uh, that's when your mind starts to play games with you. Yeah. Uh, and the further you get into that, the more people tend to, uh, to drop off, so to speak. Like the, you could see their performance decline over, uh, over a weekend. Uh, they might be really good when they do one workout a week in their home gym with their own coach, with their everything. But as soon as they get taken out of the, of the regular environment and they have to do multiple workouts uh, at a designated time, they can't maybe sleep in their own bed, something completely different. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, I guess it's an accumulation of stress. If you're, if you're used to competition, used to travel, used to different environments, you kind of multi-day events, uh, having multi-events during a day, you, I guess most people get more used to it the more you do it. Uh, yeah. But it's and you also get better at, you get better at pacing your competitive energy as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I know from people that I know that the mental load ahead of CrossFit Open and competition is enormous. Like, even though the workouts may not have been that much tougher than any other, you know, training session, they're mentally completely drained after a weekend. Completely. And, you know, it takes weeks or even months to get back on. But if you do it on a regular basis, I think the mental aspect gets a little bit easier because it's so taxing on the system the, in CrossFit that it's difficult to, to compete every weekend, like in some sports. So you're not as used to that competition uh, as in football or tennis because you, you can compete on a, on a weekly basis. Does that have any impact, do you think, that you, like the Open, once a year, it's, it's a big, big, big thing. Do you think that impacts some people? Um, yeah, I definitely think it does because it, it goes through all stages, I think. Uh, so as a beginner, you're nervous because it might be your first or second time and you're, you started to de dedicate all this time and you want to see some sort of results and you put this pressure on yourself. Someone might have told you that you're pretty good at this and then all of a sudden you have these expectations to live up to. Um, and then in later station, stages, you might have a few sponsorships or you have uh, other external things that might be pressure or you have higher expectations of yourself. Like last year, I did this result. This year, yeah. I want to do a better result. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think uh, that that anxi anxiousness plays a huge part in the CrossFit Open in particular. Uh, but after a while, like I've come to the stage in my career where I don't really, don't really, I see the open and all of this as more of a means to an end. Yeah. So I, I'm not too anxious about it. I might be a little bit anxious because you don't, you don't want to embarrass yourself, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you still, you still want to perform. You still want to do good, but I, I don't purposely go into the competition or, or the qualifying stages of the, of the competitive season to have a, particular placing mm. uh, so, so the chips the ships will, will fall wherever they fall as long as i qualify uh for the world championships that's that's the end goal so, yep. so you're, you're focusing on the process and not necessarily on the outcome yeah yeah it would seem sure. you're yeah, you're really I, there I, giving it your best at this particular time 
and having some trust and also knowing that muscle memory has stored all of that training that you've done all over the years and all of your experiences over the years that we need to get the critical mind aside and to let muscle memory kick in. And, yeah. you know, I think that's really, really important, but I can imagine that's pretty tough for new, new beginners to crossfit because they won't have the comfort or the trust that you have developed over the years. Did you find it's, it's something that gets easier in time, but if we had say somebody who was new to CrossFit and was comp competing at a decent level, what would you think would be the best approach? Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty different for me. So I have a certain, like I have certain physical attributes that a beginner might not have yet. So I can ha keep a pretty heavy training load, even though I do the open or even, even if I do the quarterfinals, I don't necessarily have to taper mm. or be super rested in order to perform decently well. So as for a beginner, I, if you're looking to advance or, or you have a certain result in mind, then you, you, you have to treat these early stages as maybe your last stages and then everything else will become a bonus and the next the next year you can build on that so you sort of after one or two or three years you're sort of building yourself towards the later stages of the competitive season because it's like the it's like the biggest sporting event in the world in terms of participants wow. it's like hundreds of thousands of people that that's uh quote-unquote staying in your way they're in your way to get to mm. your goal uh and so you have to give yourself the, the best possible um, preparation, so to speak. You have to, you, ha you, you literally can't train like I do through the CrossFit Open. You have to treat every single weekend as, as a really important competition. And you have to taper and you have to prepare and you have to dial in your nutrition really well uh, and your sleep and everything uh, in order to give your best effort, mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm, that's cool. I have I have one uh, final question to you, Simon. It's uh, uh, CrossFit. The progression the last ten years has been enormous in terms of the workouts are just going faster. The weights people are lifting are increasing higher for women as well. Um, wh where do you see the next frontier? Do you think is it will it just keep on going? Do you think it's it's the whole package with better recovery? Do you think breathing has a role to play or is it just getting more focused on the technique is it or is it just like an accumulation of all these efforts that will just get better and better uh, by the year so if you say 10 years in the future will results be much better than today um i think they might be of course they'll be better like every sport is progressing you, you never thought like uh track and field would keep you know getting better and better but they are with mm. better equipment, mm. better, uh, uh, better training methods, you know, you, you train smarter and you plan better and science discovers new uh, ways to uh, create better training adaption to, and stimulus and everything. So for sure, it's going to evolve uh, gradually. I don't think there's going to be this big jump that uh, just like it, it has been in the past 10 years. Uh, I think it kind of hit sort of like a, plateau which is going to gradually increase now over the coming years mm. uh, and yeah so that that's just what i think so people are gonna 
get smarter. They're going to train. They're going to look at other sports to find uh, and look into the sports science part of it. Now it's been more like a guessing game for a lot of people. Mm. Uh, to, to I think a, a lot of coaches and athletes, they're training too similar to what they're competing in. So it's a lot of it. It's just too specific. So they're doing CrossFit workouts on a daily. They're doing heavy weightlifting on a daily. Whereas if you look at a if you look at a gymnast or a weightlifter, a gymnast does not go into the training hall and does his routine every day. Like the, he breaks it down and he stays in the training hall for three or four hours doing, you know, strength work, core work, mobility work. And I think CrossFit is kind of getting to that point where you start to break down all these at, physical attributes and train them more separately uh, in the off season and then adding in more specific training as you get closer to the important competition, so to speak. So, yeah, that's, it's, that's just my... It's, it's almost like the story was, I think it's Team Sky B or the, the British Cycling, that they were going nowhere for, for many years and they brought in this consultant and this consultant says, I want to get a half percent gain here and a half percent gain here, a half percent gain here, a half percent gain here little incremental gains across many fields. And that's what got them to, to winning champions, cha- championships again. Um, breathing is one of those gains. And the only reason that I'm saying this is I've been 20 years in this field. Daniel has been in it um, for a while. And looking at the one thing in terms of the respiratory system and improving it, making breathing more efficient, Tapping into ways to upregulate, downregulate, recover, improve sleep, mental, the mental focus and concentration. And uh, it's going to be interesting just going forward, Simon. So if CrossFit has plateaued, now there's an opportunity for athletes to, to bring something in that they haven't been using here too. And I think there's a good fit, just even based on the conversation that we've had today. So it's very interesting. It's great stuff. Yeah, like, like you said, Patrick. And like you said, Simon, uh, you do different types of workouts. But one thing is you always have your breathing with you. So regardless mm. if you try to improve in CrossFit, you, you do swimming, you have your breathing. Or if you do some gymnast workouts to improve your, uh, that aspect. So I think breathing will play some sort of role moving mm. forward as well because it's I always so. with you. And that most people can improve that uh, breathing efficiency. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, and... Great answer, Simon. I am. Uh, I have uh, asked most of the question I wanted to ask. I'm conscious <laughs> about the time here. So, uh, any anything else from you, Patrick? No, I'm go- good. I enjoyed the conversation, Simon. Thanks very much. I'm a big fan of Sweden. I, <laughs> I stay there at Uppsala University in 1994, 95. I loved it. So uh, yeah, it's all good. So uh, nice to talk with you. Yeah, likewise. It was really enjoyable and informative. So I'm definitely gonna look into you to your stuff even more great great stuff hang on just for a couple of minutes afterwards and uh so we'll we'll sign off in the podcast so for for everybody thanks very much for listening and uh thank you again simon and daniel and we're all done